Yep, sound enthusiastic, please, Dave. I'll try. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Floorhammer podcast, the light take on the grim dark. I'm David Pettit, and as always, I'm joined by our own agent at Vect, it's Rich O'Keefe. I'm not sure whether that's a compliment or an insult. <laughs> There's more, more command points now. Yep. As always, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Floorhammer podcast, our website, floorhammerpodcast.com, and our Instagram at floorhammer underscore podcast. So, do you want to go over what we're talking about today? Yes. So, we will open, as always, with a bit of hobby progress and then talk about some GW releases because the FAQ finally arrived. Yes, and caught us all unawares because we're actually up in Nottingham for it. At Warham World, not just in Nottingham. Yeah. For those of people who don't know where Nottingham is. And we'll also be moving on to talking about the campaign. So, rather than talking about a game played uh, or a, a specific topic, we are rolling all of our slots into one and covering an overview of the campaign weekend that we went to at Warhammer World, which was awesome. It really was. I missed it so much. And I'm going to roll out a quick hobby tip on spraying PVA glue, which is very handy. More <laughs> than it sounds. They don't laugh, Dave. Sorry. But before we get into the hobby progress, I wanted to give a little update on our mission to get more followers and likes on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we hit our 50 target, or increase of 50 target, so thank you to everybody who did some sharing and plugging of our podcast. We really appreciate it. And as promised, we gave a donation to the British Heart Foundation and the Alzheimer's Society, so thank you very much for your support. Unfortunately, that's all our advertising budget gone for the year, so... <laughs> Dave's a frugal man. <laughs> Right, let's move on to some hobby progress then. Well, how about this? Seeing as it's a special campaign episode, why don't you kick us off with the hobby progress for once? Uh, for once. Done it before. Well, this, once. <laughs> this is less throwing me under the bus at the moment, so I'll go with it. So, I did finish my Death Watch models that needed finishing. I left a few details not quite highlighted. And when I say finished, I mean... On the day of the campaign weekend, while Dave and Nick are having coffee in my front room, I'm still painting black on the rims of the bases. That wasn't the term you called it. Yeah, there's a technical term for that, but we'll keep it clean, Dave. (laughs) So I did get them done in time to a level that I was happy enough to play with them and no one said anything, so I consider that a win. They look great. Yeah, just a few more details I need to highlight when I when I come round to it. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with everyone's army. It's never finished. There's always something else to do. I haven't sprayed them either. I need to, as in varnished them. I need to I need to finish up the varnishing. So I got on with my armies on parade board now that I'm free from Dave's nagging about getting my campaign army done, and my wife's also leaving me alone. <laughs> well, that was a revelation. Then I'm glad you finished that sentence. <laughs> yes, yeah, not Dave and my wife are different people. Just to clarify that for everyone. No, I thought she said you were le- she was leaving you. <laughs> I mean, her patience will run out one day, mate. So, the armies on parade board. I mentioned last time I did the flocking, so I'll go into a bit more detail on that. What I've been doing is getting the ground cover down so that it looks like dirt. So I'm once again going to refer to Luke's APS uh, from YouTube, and in order to make realistic-looking dirt, he uses dirt. Clever. He is clever. Yeah. Um, but... Just dirt on its own wouldn't hold on a board. So what he does is he dries off soil in the oven. So one, that kills off bacteria. Right. You've got to make it clean. You don't want things growing on your gaming table. Well, Nurgle. Nurgle Nurgle-based gaming table. Maybe, yeah. 
also it dries it out completely. Okay. So what you then have to do is pass it through a sieve. Small piece of advice to everyone out there. Buy a sieve for doing this. Don't use a kitchen sieve unless you want to get crucified by the other half. (laughs) They don't take kindly to kitchen equipment being used for hobby. So I have to sieve the the dirt. It makes it super fine. um, And then you mix it with brown tile grout. Because it's a brown powder. And tile grout is essentially like cement. So once you've got it wetted down and it's dried, it is rock solid. So the process is to put glue down first, so a layer of PVA glue, sprinkle on this dirt mix, and then spray it down with uh, isopropyl alcohol or rubbing alcohol and water mixed together. Spray on watered-down PVA glue, which will be a common theme in all these different stages, and leave it overnight to set. And it is hard as nails. Nice. And it looks like dirt. Brilliant. And I didn't have to paint it. Right, and now I'm just going to clip that and stick it in a hobby tip, lay it down the line. So Thanks, Dave. No, no worries. Bad Carry yeah. on. <laughs> um, so once that was dried and, and, and hardened up, I went on with the flocking process. So I, I plan to do a big gaming table in the future. I splashed out on some Woodland Scenics, who's the manufacturer, flocking materials. Okay. So I got like this coarse flock that's supposed to look like shrubs and weeds and things. Uh, the fine flock that looks like the grass... And then some clump foliage, or clump, whatever it's called. Clump it looks like little, yeah, it looks like little bushes. <laughs> okay. So, using all these together, you can make quite a realistic-looking grass and field effect with very little effort. So, sprinkle on some of the coarse flock first. Or sorry, I suppose start with a base layer of PVA glue. Yep. Um, sprinkle on this coarse flock so it looks like weeds and things. Um, you go over with a mid-color green. Then you put darker green flock and you sprinkle it on with just a pinch and sprinkle like salt on your food. Mm-hmm. Um, dark green flock in all the low areas and like next to rocks and things where shadows would form or where wet would gather because that's where greener grass grows. And you put this burnt grass, which is basically a pale yellow on the higher areas to highlight the ground. Okay. And then you just go over with this blending mid-green after that a light sprinkle ties it all together a bit like painting a model with your li- low with your shadows and your highlights yeah and spray the whole thing again with the isopropyl alcohol water mix and pva glue and let it set and i think i did two layers of pva glue just to really really bed set it, it down in place, yeah yeah because this woodland scenic stuff's interesting it's made from foam it's not flock like you know the old gw flock and the train Enthusiast flock just went everywhere, and as it's well. made from theirs is made from sawdust that's coloured. All right, um, so it can be quite brittle. Whereas mm. this woodland scenic fancy stuff Bit more is spongy. Yeah, it's spongy, so it soaks up the PVA glue like a sponge, and then dries really firm. Rock, sticks yeah. together in like a a, a a single layer. So it's come on well. Um, mm-hmm. It's looking pretty good. I'm quite happy with it for my first time doing it. So I thought, oh, I'll really get into to making some effort for this armies on parade. I'll make my own trees. Because I've seen, again, videos from Luke on YouTube making his own trees. How hard can it be to make your own tree, Dave? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm no expert, but uh, by the tone of your voice, I guess, very hard. <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> Honestly, drove me mental. So, again, Woodland Scenics train Scenics Manufacturing Company. They sell these armatures that are basically tree skeletons and trunks and things. Ends. Yeah, and you just twist them into shapes. And then what you do is you glue on this little plant called sea foam no idea what it is it's some kind of shrub that grows very very fine branch like structure and you just clip bits off and super glue it onto the tree shape 
to give you the canopy. This this already sounds complicated. And there's more. So this stuff's a bit brittle. So it's okay for like a diorama, like or a model train layout where you don't touch it. But obviously, I want to use, I want to reuse board, these yeah. trees from my gaming board. Right, I don't want to waste all this time to throw them away. Yeah. So you soak them in liquid latex, which is what they use to make like molds. Okay. So you, you paint it onto mold things to make a mold of it. So you dunk it in this liquid latex and let it cure or dry, and it rubberizes the whole tree. So you can drop it on the floor, nothing breaks. Nice. Yeah, that's really clever. Nice. Then that's... after that, <laughs> Gosh. what have I set myself up for? Uh, you texture the tree trunk because it's a plain plastic tree trunk. Yep. So I used some um, polyfiller with PVA glue and sand to make a texture paste, okay, like my, so like like my basing one. Yep. Make it all bumpy. Then you spray it brown. And then I flocked it. So I sprayed it with some varnish so it's all sticky. Mm-hmm. And then I put the, clump, uh, the coarse flock on the outside and it's kind of stuck to it like leaves. And then I've sealed it with a couple of sprays of, again, watered down PVA. Okay. They look pretty good, actually. I'll post some pictures up when they're dry. They've got one more I've seen coat the pictures. They, they do look good. I thought you, you just bought them. <laughs> oh, that's a compliment. I'll take yeah. that. Um, it's a very grainy picture. <laughs> Thank you. It's always a backhanded compliment with you. <laughs> next up to do is the water effects, which I'll cover next time. I'm using clear resin for the first time that I bought Ooh. off the internet. So not that sort of resin that you buy off the internet. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> I might need that after this, after this project, though. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah, clear resin. I've had uh, horror stories, so make sure you do it on the test piece first. Yes, absolutely. And the snow effects, because it's a snow scene that oh, I'm yeah, doing, because yeah, my Chaos Warriors are on snow bases. I've had to rebase them on round bases to keep up with the trend, because they're on square the, bases from way rules, back. Yeah. Shut, shut up, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and they've always had snow bases, which meant that I did like snow on the models, like on their feet and their cloaks and things. So I kind of had to stick with it. Yeah. Um, so more to report on that next time when I actually get that out of the way. We're recording on a Monday and the Armies on Parade board has to be at the shop on Saturday. So I've got to get a move on. Okay. But I'm almost there. Nice. What have you been up to? Well, my hobby progress completely revolved around getting my army finished for the campaign weekend. So, if I'm honest, I can't remember where I left it last <laughs> last episode, but uh, I think I was finishing off the defiler. So I highlighted yes. all the gold, I did all the silver, highlighted all the silver, did a few cables, and there are some tricky armor plating bits of the defiler which need to be in the thousand suns blue or they don't need to be but i chose to put them in the thousand suns blue just to tie it into the army bit so uh, obviously i went with the same techniques as as the rest of my army with the thousand suns blue araman blue washes that sort of stuff yeah um and i also then painted araman himself Finally! Yes. He's no so, longer a pair of legs. No, no. So I, although I'd sprayed him in subsections, I did actually put all of his body together um, okay. for painting. Uh, so I essentially did the cover art picture. So he's got sort of a a burnt pink robe, I guess. Oh, so is it like Screamer pink? Yeah, is yeah. the colour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I ba- like it's based that on that. Yeah, no, it's very nice. So it's, it's based on that, um, and I put his... I sprayed i actually airbrushed his cloak so his cloak okay. is airbrushed with um purple very fancy different shades of purple yeah um it was actually one of my first times i'd used more of a precision coloring with the mm-hmm. with the airbrush because usually i'm doing tanks or large large areas whereas this i was really going sort of precision getting the highlight on the raised areas of the cloak nice because i liked the sort of the soft highlight of the 
material rather than hard edges. Um, and then, yeah, there was it was loads of details to it. So obviously, with a character model, I wanted him to look good. And then halfway through painting him, I realised that he's got oh scrolls and a book and talismans. Oh my god, and, he's got everything! Right. And I was like, oh bloody hell! Um, so. <laughs> A lot of the talismans and chains and stuff are all the same colour, <laughs> <laughs> just to break it up. But I, I'm really happy with how it came out, and it looked really good, and it, uh, it fitted into the army very well. Yeah, once you finished the whole army and got it on the table when we were there, it, uh, it really came together nicely. Yeah, yeah. So I finished off my Thousand Sons, and my next bit of hobby I think I'm going to do. So I took a break after the campaign weekend because I was a bit hobbied out. Um, especially with the not burning the midnight oil but I was um, you had a deadline which focused you exactly so I was I was focused on finishing my army and I finished it off and I just did the the campaign weekend played loads of games and I was a bit hobbied out so I've uh, taken a bit of a break until today and I've, I've looked towards my next project uh, which is going to be my Tempesta Scions. Yes! So my Killzone style Tempesta Scions so black and grey uh, fatigues with their sort of orange lenses and orange scopes etc etc so i am looking forward to that so i've got the start collecting box which i've had for months now <laughs> yep and i've got the sort of the digi camo stencils for the vehicles Ooh, yes. so that that should hopefully come out really well it's the first time using sort of stencils on that sort of s- style and yeah i'm uh, looking forward to doing those and uh, i've got a few ideas for reinforcements to my black templars as well I'm trying to add new units so i played against the stormhawk interceptor at the weekend, which we'll get to later, and that thing is cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's the it's the flyer that can't hover, so it is a proper flyer, but it just looks it's like an armored storm. It looks town. badass. Yeah, it's it's sort of like an armored storm town. It's almost halfway between a storm town and a Valkyrie looking sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I I really liked it, so I'm adding one of those. I've got ideas for more scouts and more uh, or and a land speeder. Yeah, I really love the land speed of Storm. It looks cool, all the guys hanging off the outside, etc. It, lo- it looks very scouty. Yeah, yeah, so I've given them all shotguns because nice. I've got got sniper scouts and I wanted some shotgun scouts, so I think they're, they're pretty cool. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to be moving on to next. So hopefully I'll start putting together some scions. And I was going to use, to break up the many squads of scions that I'm undoubtedly going to have in the army, I was going to use um, different heads and different maybe different bodies to represent different styles of troopers, albeit in the actual game they'll probably all be scions themselves. Yeah. But uh, I was thinking of maybe using the Skitari Vanguard hooded heads Ooh, nice. as, as like sort of sniper Yeah, the stealthier, stealthier operatives. Yeah, exactly. For those people that have played the Killzone games or seen the Killzone troopers, there is a type of trooper that has those hoods and it has like the sort of Sam Fisher... Ghost Recon nice. style triangle eyes. Uh, triangle eyes. Well, you know the three three lenses they've got, um, and you can do that with the Skitari, nice. uh, some of the Skitari heads. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But shall we move on to the releases that we had? So yes, a few actually came out when we were away. Right, GW releases. Let's pull the plaster off, Dave, and talk orcs. Yes. Well, I <laughs> don't care actually because that Ramjet came out and it looks f-ing cool. Oh my god. If you haven't seen the Games Workshop uh, Warhammer TV advert for the Mega Track Scrapjet, pause listening to this, go and watch it on YouTube right now. We'll it's, wait. It's, it's brilliant. 
See how good was that advert? It's hilarious. Oh my god, they're just so on point with their advertising, fake videos and things, and, and their comedy videos. Oh my gosh. So it's called a Mecha Track Scrapjet, and their tagline is because orcs don't need wings to fly. Yeah, flight reimagined. It's so good. <laughs> I, I think it looks awesome. It's got this massive like air intake at the front. It sort of has these stubby wings at the back. I hope to God the damn thing can fly because it's mental concept. If if I'm honest, I don't care if it can't fly. Just look at it. It's it looks like oh, it's 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 like a hot rod bike jet machine gun Messerschmitt thing. Yeah, it looks it. It's hard to describe. We are speechless. This uh, works really well in an audio format, yeah. but basically, if you haven't already seen it, I, I don't know what you're doing with your life. It's basically a, a, a half track. Um, car based on a plane essentially it's got like a long fuselage with the half track on it and it has a an orc with the classic bomber jacket and the flying cap flying it but it looks like it's got what two dacker guns uh, it's probably got a load of other rules a rocket randomly sticking out here and there it just looks awesome so all the orc players that are waiting for awesome stuff i think we can safely say it's arriving yes between this and the aforementioned uh, the the buggy with the grot strap to the front, there's so much awesome stuff coming for orcs. And uh, October is still not over, Dave. We're only a week in. Yeah, we're only a week in. I reckon they'll be releasing inventory uh, yes. later down the line. Um, but at the moment, all the speed freaks, cars and bikes stuff is just freaking awesome. It is. Also to come out, Kill Team Commanders. Yes, yeah. I think it's a cool idea. You can add leaders to your kill teams of course people are bitching and moaning about it because kill teams only just come out yeah but they're giving you more options to use models that you already have so sounds cool to me they come with command abilities so it's a way of customizing a kill team because at the moment a tower kill team and, and going up against another tower kill team might look exactly the same but the ability to add commanders um i can't remember how many races i've got commanders now it's Quite a few of them, There's, actually. I think the number of commanders are like 40-something characters are being yeah. added as options. There's like at least two per faction, basically. Exactly. So th- there's, there's loads, and there's, they're really good ways of customising your army. Of course, we still haven't played Kill Team, so we have no idea what they do. Nope. But they look good. We're going to be going down that avenue soonish. Christmas is coming, and I've got that on my list. The geese so, are getting fat as well. So. Oh, they are. So hopefully in the new year we'll get into some kill team. Get get I'll get the terrain knocked up quite quick and uh, get started. Yeah, there's lots of nice videos going around Instagram and YouTube at the moment of people building kill team boards because you can go to town with all the terrain. And it's such a small area; it's 22 by 30 inches, so you can cram a few bits of terrain on there and make it look really nice. Yeah, and it also helps out that the terrain is such a big feature of kill team as well. Yeah, it's really good. And when we were at Warhammer World for the campaign weekend, halfway through playing a game, the news dropped that the FAQ had finally arrived. Yes, yes. So all those people that were complaining that the September FAQ hadn't dropped in September, well, on the what, 29th, 28th, 28th uh, it, well, I say finally dropped. I mean, we weren't the ones complaining about it, but it was still September. So well everyone, done, GW. Everyone could shut up. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hating the haters. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it's come out. People can stop going on about it. It didn't change huge amounts of the game, but there are some nice little additions in there. Uh, I suppose the first one to talk about that there was a little griping over is the stratagem point increases. Mainly because some of the stratagems did need to go up, um, and some that have gone up 
were in response to people taking the piss at tournaments, but for the actual army players, it's a bit of an issue. So I'm thinking of the Blood Angels one. We've got a couple of people we know play Blood Angels. Yeah. They were a little disappointed that the Upon Wings of Fire command points have gone up to two. It's the basis of the, the classic Slam Gwynius Captain. I love that name. Yeah. It's a stupid concept, <laughs> but I love two, the name. Two Thunderhammers, etc., etc. Um, so it's... A lot of Imperial players were taking these Blood Angel captains, I think the captains with jump packs and the two Thunder Hammers, and they were using this stratagem and all sorts. So it's a way of combating that. But then, of course, when you combat something that's taking the piss out of something that you can use in a casual game, the casual gamers are going to be affected. I mean, it's a super powerful stratagem. So I'm hoping that the ability to use it less often, it kind of balanced out. Maybe they weren't using it that much anyway. I just think it's a bit of an annoyance. But, you know, it's, it's what they did. Other things that changed definitely needed to. So for Imperial Knights, the Oathbreaker guidance systems that let you snipe with missiles went up. We'll talk Have about you... that. Just no. No? Moving on. You not come across them? Moving on. No? no okay. <laughs> a couple of other Knights ones went up. The Order of Companions and Our Darkest Hour went up. Yeah, they're both three command points now. It's so quite all, a hefty tax. All three of those command point uh, or stratagems that we've just mentioned, they've all gone up to three command points. Yep, and one of the ones that was on three that's crept up to four now, the highest of all of the of all the stratagems, Agents of Vect. Well, yeah, because that is a bull <laughs> stratagem. Also, FAQ'd that you can't use it in the pre-game setup part of the game or pre-battle part. So there's no... Do you want to uh, give some context? I want to give some context. So the Agents of X stratagem is the one that lets you counter somebody else's stratagem. Yeah. And on a dice roll of a six, they lose the command points or something like that. Yeah, so it, you play it, they immediately lose that stratagem ability. And on a six, I think it's a six. I think you, it's a six. You take away their command points. As well. Um, also, so their command point cost has actually been yep. used. Yeah. So the deployment phase of the game, when you say, I'm going to spend a command point to put this unit in the webway, because that's where they're deploying from, and Vex like, nope. Yeah, they've, they've FAQ'd that. You can't now. do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, you have to let your opponent have some fun. Yeah. I mean, you're Drakari, so they're probably not having too much fun. <laughs> <are> they? <laughs> they're doing the setup part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> It's all, it's all hope at the beginning of the game, and it just goes to... Also, a big change. You can't have anything come in from reserves on the first turn. And this is the one I think that's going to affect us the most if you're playing casual. No turn one reserves, not even in your own deployment zone anymore. So, essentially, it's gone back to 7th Ed reserves, yep. which, I mean, we have played loads of, and I sometimes forget that stuff can come in the first <laughs> turn anyway. So, yeah, this this will be the one that affects us. I would assume that that means that they can deploy anywhere in turn two still. Yes, that's how it's going to work. Turn yeah. two, you're free to deploy everywhere as, as you were. So it's, it's essentially you can't turn up in your own deployment zone turn one. That's the only difference. Yeah, and I think it's fine. It doesn't seem to... It's not going to ruin anyone's day, I don't think. No, no, no. Um, also, they added an interesting new stratagem that's accessible to the player going second, and that is prepared positions. It's two command points... And you essentially let your troops that are waiting to receive turn one uh, from your opponent entrench in whatever's available for them to take cover in. And uh, all of the units in your army gain the benefits of cover. If, even if they're in cover, that doesn't stack. So you just get your whole army has the plus one to their armor save. Yeah, so it's, it's good because it counteracts the... 
maybe not the alpha striking armies, but it counteracts the fact that you don't have first turn because as I have certainly noticed, if you don't have first turn, you are at a disadvantage unless you're coming up against a full melee full melee army. Yeah, which is, why anyway. which is why it's nice that it's a stratagem, right? If you're facing a melee army and that's not really going to give you any benefit, you don't spend the command points, you don't get the plus one armor save. It gives you a, a bit of flexibility. And the other change is called tactical restraint. But essentially it means less farming command points. Thank God. Yes, yeah, so they've restricted it so that each player can only gain one or regain one command point per battle round. So I think that's much more balanced than it has been. I mean, I use the Ultramarines one. I've had games where you just get three or four command points back in a turn and it feels bad for your opponent. But I've also had it so that it hasn't gone that way. I think the real situation is where people have two or three sources of well, the, farming. The worst one is when, yeah, they have two or three sources of farming. You use a stratagem and they have like three different dice rolls to try and get command points back. And it's just, they. I mean, some of these armies are Imperial Guard as well, so they start on... 12 command points or whatever it is. Oh, and the rest, mate. Yeah. 28 I've seen some people oh, listing. Jesus. So the problem is this doesn't really affect them because they're probably finishing the game on 14 command points <laughs> anyway. But it does stop people from taking the piss if they've got smaller armies. Um, they start maybe with 6 command points and then by the end of the, the turn they've got 10 command points or something. Also, I did want to point out the most critical FAQ that you might have overlooked, Dave. Mm -hmm. Should you go into the Space Marine FAQ? They only added one FAQ for the Space Marines. Okay. And Is it something noting, viable? It's very viable. It's super important. Okay. If an Armorium Cherub, which is an upgrade for the Devastators that yep. lets them take an extra shot if they sacrifice the Cherub. Okay. Still very viable at the moment. Yeah. If it's removed after reloading a weapon. Okay. You cannot use a Narthaseum ability of an Apothecary to return the sacrificed Cherub to play. Okay. Because some head was doing that in a tournament. <laughs> Technically, the model was removed from the unit, ah, so it can be ha, returned with ha, an upper, Yes. Ha. It doesn't even have any gene seeds. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was worth clarifying that in case anybody out there was worried about what to do with their Narthaseum if their cherub is sacrificed. Right, moving on. Let's crack on with talking about the campaign weekend. Right, so get comfy and get yourself a cup of tea, because let's talk about the campaign weekend. We... Set off up to Nottingham with Nick from Old Average Brick Gaming, who was kind enough to drive us. Nailed it. Yep. I won't bore you with the details of the drive, but it was mostly hassle-free, which, when you use the M1 in the UK, is an achievement. Yes. Only one set of road works, so we're all good. Good old average 50 mile an hour speed zones. <sighs> we arrived, I don't know, like after lunchtime at some point, and Dave had kindly reserved us a gaming table. I mean, Warhammer World reserved it, I just phoned up in the first place. They've taken away that function, you know. Yeah, they've taken away that for, I think, the regular people that go up there. Oh, okay. Um, but you can still phone them up. And if you're, say, coming from a long way away, or like us, where it's sort of three hours to get there, you can still phone up and they can sort you out. Oh, that's the perfect balance. Well done, Warhammer World. We got some drinks in and set up our gaming table. So we had the large city fight board, which was, I think, a six foot by six foot it square. It is big. It's massive. And so many different kits go into it. I mean, it's Warhammer World, so they've got so many different kits that they can use and they can replicate and they can sort of cast up their own styles. But the board itself is... 
just imagine your Cities of Death board times a million. It's amazing. And it's like seven or eight stories high. They've got like Titan weapons on top of buildings as defensive weapons. It's crazy some of the stuff they have on their tables. Yeah, tell you what, it's a tiny bit of the board, but it looks really cool. They chop up the floor tile bits of the old Cities of Death terrain into basically triangles. And they oh, arrange yeah. them in a spiral staircase. Yeah. It's a tiny bit of the board, but I just thought it was such a good idea. And I'd, I'd never thought of it. Because it would drive you mental to cut those individual pieces pieces up yourself yes, but when would. you can just make a copy because your games workshop yeah it looks awesome so cracking board we put into place some of our own advice on how to set up a multiplayer game reference episode 14 <clears throat> yeah it was me dave and nick we split the table into three evenly shaped wedges so they were 120 degrees angle for those nerds out there that want to know i just think of pizza pizza definitely gonna think about it like pizza next time yeah just think of everything as pizza that's my rule in life that's good advice. Yeah. Right, so we split it evenly and we deployed two objectives per piece in each deployment zone. We made sure to put our forces on both borders of the deployment zones. Sorry, I'm just thinking of pizza now. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure we got even distribution. During the game, we made sure we played it out so that we did an even amount of shooting and attacking and combat, etc. towards each other's armies so that one player wasn't ganged up on by two, basically, which is what we tried to try to avoid. Yeah, um, unless the game is completely swinging in one person's favour, which it started to at one point. We reined it in. We, we ganged up on him. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, it works very well when you've got three people that know each other and you talk about your turns with each other rather than having a tactical game. Because like we said before, having a competitive tactical game three-way does not work unless you get proper into it and actually deals with each other. But it was a great game. Yeah. Lots it... happened. Lots of comedic moments. Some Karakakalites and Space Marines oh, just... spent forever fighting each Laughing. other. Yeah. <laughs> their, their combat phase was shite. Then the Space Marines couldn't kill anything with bolters. There was, there was some good all-round moments. And for the first time ever, Dave, did you win a game that we're talking about on the show? Yep. <laughs> I finally won a game. I mean, <laughs> I, I won a game that wasn't against Rich. Oh, yeah, sorry, just to clarify. Yeah, because there's only one person that's worse than me at 40k, and it's Rich. <laughs> no, I, it was it was a really good game. I got really lucky with psychic powers that I got off, actually. Yep. Some of Nick's army, so he runs essentially Chaos Demons with a few uh, Thousand Suns elements built into it. Yeah. Those flamers are no. ridiculous. <laughs> I warned you. Yeah. It took a bit of persuading not to use them to their... <laughs> maximum potential. Ma maximum capacity, yeah. They still made a mess, though. They still made a mess. Yeah, they were just wiping out Rubric Marines left, right and centre. So the campaign weekend has been mixed up a bit by GW. There was actually a game on that Friday night that was what they called a flex game. So it was up to 3,000 points. Bring and play what you like. Yeah, play with what you've got. And it didn't contribute to the actual outcome of the campaign because they knew a lot of people wouldn't be able to get there on Friday night. But they had this sort of pick-up approach. But by the time we finished our game, it was getting latish. We wanted some food. And the prospect of another four-hour game versus something beardy was... It's bring, it's bring all your good stuff. We, we didn't quite fancy it. But it was also bring the sort of stuff that you can't usually play with in a game and someone had a manta yep their, their 3000 points or whatever was just a manta it was incredible that thing is massive every yep. time I see it I've probably seen what three really yeah I've um, never seen one outside of the displays in Warhammer World. Yeah, so I've seen three in use, and every time I see one, I realise how big it is. It's almost, it's like a metre and a half across. It's, it's just ridiculous. It's like, <laughs> a whole table on its yeah, own. It is half a six by four table, pretty much. And the, the guy that was playing it was a bit 
disheartened by the fact he couldn't kill it, but at the size time he was just awestruck yeah, by the, the, size the, of it. The, the size of it. It was. Oh. I mean, this guy had three big, thick rods holding it up onto its base, and each rod was supported by an imperial bastion. Yeah, that's when you know you're committed. Like yeah. that was like not a cheap base, but then when the model's like a million pounds, you've got to go. You've got to go all out. So we wrapped it up there, went down the pub, had a few drinks, and things got started on the Saturday morning. Yeah, as with a campaign weekend, Saturday morning they give you an introduction to the campaign and, and what's happening previously. Part three of a, of a previous running campaign. Yeah, as a bit of background, there was the Tenebris system. Essentially, it was an imperial system. It had been invaded by... Chaos first of all, wasn't it? I think yeah, it was it was originally chaos, yeah. but part two, um, the invaders had won. So essentially, the story had progressed into the invaders had driven out the chaos forces. So invaders are basically Xenos races or anyone that's not Imperium or chaos. Yeah. So they had taken over these planets, and chaos and Imperial remnants had been scattered to the dark zones. So the dark zones were parts of the Tenebris system that weren't governed by anyone, and they were a bit sort of outlawish. Yeah, they're the outer rim planets that were left without anything of any importance on them. Our campaign revolved around these dark zones. So the, the idea was that there were pockets of resistance on all of these dark zone planets that are left fighting it out. So the Imperials that were left behind and the, and the Chaos Remnants fighting it out with the invader forces but the invaders didn't really commit much to these dark zones because they're a bit shit to be honest. Mm. Cue the arrival of the Imperial backup. Uh, Imperium, not known for understanding what a lost cause is, <laughs> uh, decided to turn up in force and Chaos is skulking along behind them to get involved in the mayhem. The idea being the first missions were 500-point games. These were to represent investigative forces going down to the ground. Yeah, scouting parties. Scouting parties to find out what happened to all the previous forces that were there, link up with them if they can, fight off the invaders that were there and the chaos that was showing up, and, and kind of establish, uh, create, a, create a landing zone. That's what the Imperials were told during our brief, because of course we got different briefs under the different factions, so I was getting the Imperial brief whilst Dave was getting the chaos brief. Yeah, it was essentially just kill them all every time. Yeah. So the Chaos had followed the Imperium into these Dark Zone regions and were also searching for the colonies, any Imperial technology that they could use against the Imperium. So there was two 500 points games that we played first. And so like Rich said, they were used as part of like a scouting force from your army. To sort of theme it out, I had um, a sorcerer leading a group of Zangors. So these Zangors in my army are more like the local populace sort of made into slaves. The, it was a an exalted sorcerer rounding up uh, the local populace to fight for the army. Nice, that fits with the theme really well. Yeah, my army was an exalted sorcerer on a disc, two squads of ten Zacolites, and uh, two cows spawn. Nice. Yes. Their spawn look awesome, by the way. <laughs> it came out so well. Spoiler alert, they're shit. <laughs> Right, so my first game, I actually played uh, one of our group, Alex. He had brought knights to the campaign weekend, because it was a 500-point game. You can't really fit any knights in 500 points. They have a 10-wound limit, so no armagers either. Yeah, so he had used his advec. These were the sort of scouting party for the knights to make sure that the planet was hospitable and it was worth sending in a knight legion, yeah. I think was his sort of background. We faced off, and I managed to go first. From the first turn... 
I think I had an advantage based on the number of units and models I had yeah. on the table. So he had a squad of infiltrators, which were um, infiltrating, hence the name. He had some Catron destroyers and had two of the 1950 space robots. The yeah, the Castellan robots. Castellan robots, thank you very much. Like I said, from term one, I think I had a advantage because it was an objective-based game. Yes, they were on, all objectives, weren't they? Yeah, based on the number of models and uh, units I had. So in this game, really showed me the insight into a first-turn child bought time because it's on a 4x4 board, both of these games 4x4. And yeah, the Exalt Sorcerer mixed with a close combat unit, the Zangors, having a first-turn charge is brutal. Yes. Yeah, so the Zangles were killing off these Cataphron destroyers on the first turn charge, completely nullifying their shooting. Uh, it was brutal, <laughs> so to speak, with a with a minus one AP. Very good. And from there, I managed to capture objectives with the Chaos Spawn. I was about to say, Dave, you rubbished them, but who held the objectives for you in that game? Yeah, the, the Chaos Spawn... Move fast, right? They Yeah, they move fast. They've got four wounds and they are toughness five. Okay. So they are durable. And yeah, they they captured my objectives, and it was my number of models that managed to overwhelm Alex, and I got a win. My nice. first game. Good man. So, my first game. I chose for my 500 points uh, to just take some Space Marines. I don't have any scouts painted for my Marines, so I just <laughs> took some basic squads. The idea being they'll be the first thing that hits. Maybe a couple of drop pods land, but I'm not using drop pods because they're crap. And some Space Marines are there to investigate what's going on. So... Being that you're supposed to send down these scouting parties, uh, my opponent sent down a Necron Destroyer Lord and seven destroyers. And it's bullshit, and I lost in 14 minutes, and I didn't get turn two. So, moving on. That that wasn't the greatest theming. No, it wasn't. I mean, they were compact, they looked all the same thing, but it's a bit... Cheesy. Well, yeah, for 500 points, and especially up against your army... Yep. So I had a word with the team and they sort of said to him, maybe just turn it down for the second 500 point game. Because otherwise somebody else is just going to get spanked. It's a narrative campaign. It's, it's not a tournament. So let's, let's move on from that and keep positive. Your next game. Yeah, my next game was, again, very good. So I played, I can't remember his name, unfortunately. Very nice bloke. And uh, he took Space Marine Primaris. So Ooh. this is actually the first time I'd played an actual Primaris. I say an army, it was 500 points, but I'd actually played sort of full Primaris. So I've faced, I have a unit. Yeah, I've faced your singular unit. But this guy had uh, Primaris Intercessors. He had the Aggressors. Yep, they're really good. And some Reavers, as well as a Stormhawk Interceptor, as I mentioned earlier. Oh, here comes your love of the Stormhawk Interceptor then. Again, it was a bit of a mismatch because Primaris are very cool, but they are quite expensive and you don't get many models. That is true. So in 500 points, that actually makes a big difference when it comes to model count. This mission was based on a centralised objective Yes, that we had to go and capture. And as a twist, throughout the campaign, we could use a, a separate unit in our army that could fight for or against us. And they were essentially the remnants of forces left over from the original campaign yes so my dark zones unit were a squad of three tau stealth suits nice so the twist was um as soon as you capture the central objective we had to turn over this piece of paper which was unbeknownst to us and it turns out that we had to pick one of our dark zone unit between yourself and the opponent and that turns up next to the objective in the middle whoever controlled the objective their opponent got the yeah. unit and the, the mission was just control the objective at the end wasn't it in turn one the stormhawk interceptor flew over to the objective in the same time my 
Exalted Sorcerer had flown over to the objective, so it was actually neutral in the first turn, as this Dark Zone unit turned up and didn't know who to shoot. The second turn, however, because the Stormhawk Interceptor cannot hover, had to fly off. Oh, right. Yeah, which unfortunately meant that my opponent could take control of my Dark Zones unit, and those ah. burst cannons are quite good. Yeah, they are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so it was mowing down uh, some Zangles. But at the same time, my opponent didn't want the Dark Zones unit um, on the board, partly because they were filthy Xenos from his stalwart Imperial views. Yeah, it ended up, we're all just sort of killing the Dark Zone unit. A very bloody game. The highlight, well, the highlight for me, I should say, not so much for my opponent, was the Exalted Sorcerer going uh, loco and casting D6 wounds. Six wounds on his Ooh, maxed D6 out his smite. smite. Yeah. Ouch. And, uh, yeah, just killed off, like, three three Reavers. Just, but my man. That was a lot of points he killed with that one smite. Um, yeah, I managed to pull through and, and get my second win. So I was actually at 2-0. and Doing well. Yeah, 2-0 at this point my next game was immeasurably better than my first one so we had a thing with the dark zones where basically because everything's a bit wrecked you roll on this table to see what effect you get on the table from the dark zones so ours was that all terrain became line of sight blocking all your mechanicum terrain that you can normally see through all your ruins you basically use the base that it was modeled on and you can't see anything through it. So it made for massive line of sight blocking all over all the right place. Over it. Well, if you were on it, you could see out. But you just couldn't see from one side to the other. It's to represent uh, billowing smoke. And crumbling yeah. debris everywhere and the place just being generally wrecked. It played out really interestingly because he also had a guard army. He had multiple chimeras and infantry squads and between the chimeras and the buildings, like there was hardly any line of sight to anything else. I had to try and work my way through these chimeras. Same as you, turned up at the middle of the board. We flipped over our piece of paper and 20 plague bearers turned up. Oh, because he didn't bring a unit and I brought my plague bearers. Neither of us had the objective and with 20 plague bearers on it, neither of us could get to the objective because <laughs> there were too many of them. <laughs> We just turned on the plague bearers first of all and got rid of them and uh, in order to get access to the objective. Unfortunately, nice. it ended up being a draw because we both battered the crap out of each other's armies <laughs> and uh, were contesting the objective at the end of the game. So a really well-fought game. Uh, really nice guy. Coming back to 8th edition since last playing 5th. All right, okay. It's been a bit of a big break yeah. for him. Unfortunately, that meant that he wasn't really familiar with how the points system works in 8th and hadn't paid for any of the weapon upgrades on his stuff. So I think his list came to like 650 points. So I looked at it and it was like four chimeras in 500 points. So I was like, that's a bit suspicious. But I just went and told them afterwards and said, look, I think the guy's just done a miscalculation. The Warhammer World staff being awesome as they are, actually just sat down with him and said, what do you want to play in your later games? And they went through with him. Like, well, so I sat with him for like half an hour to go through how to work out all the points and how to point up his army properly. Essentially, he bought the units, but not the weapons. Yeah, he didn't know he had to pay for weapons. Yeah. It's not immediately obvious no, when, no, you, when no. you look no, for that, the first time. Off so uh, hats played. off to the Warhammer World team, or the guy that sat down with him because he spent his lunch break basically sitting with this guy, showing him how to add up the points. So another pip on how awesome the Warhammer World staff are. And then it was lunchtime. And lunch was had. It was. After that, we came back to the PM section of the, the day one. And, well, we were informed from the Imperial side that things had not gone swimmingly in the early phases of the deployment, <laughs> no. shall we say. Basically, we got crushed horribly. All of our forces are dead or disappeared. The orbiting force had no idea what was going on with the, with the forces on the ground. So, of course, the Imperium committed all of their forces to the planet's surface, not knowing exactly what was down there, because that's how the Imperium <laughs> rolls. So what was the story from your side, Dave? Because that's, that's what we got told, was we are go, get everything on that planet's surface and get it back. Well, actually, Chaos won. 
Oh, that's uh, why things went bad for us. Yes. Then, Dave. <laughs> yeah. So uh, chaos were actually the winning faction from the first two rounds. So we had uh, successfully found uh, some technology some imperial technology and uh from what i remember i think we were just basically trying to work out how to use it and working out how to turn it on the imperial forces which were drop pudding from the sky as we spoke yeah so moving on to saturday pm 1750 points now yes escalated yes so uh, again all of the chaos forces had committed their forces from the warp and uh, warp gates were opening and demons were billowing out into these planets to meet the Imperial Defenders and, of course, to assault the uh, Xenos and mixed races that were already within the Dark Zones themselves. Your game first, then. Round four, because technically round one was on Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> and... No, we we don't need to talk about this. Unfortunately, the person that I played didn't... I'm trying to word this diplomatically. Didn't comply with the rules. And restrictions. And restrictions. Um, I had an awful game. I didn't get a turn two after my entire 1750. Army was wiped out in an hour and a half. So I had to sit there for an hour and a half while his guard and knights were shooting the crap out of my army before I conceded. I actually totaled up his army. Over a beer. Over a beer. And it was about 2,300 points. Yeah. Which was 650 That's without any upgrades. Base cost. So something has gone horribly wrong. That's why all your stuff died, mate. So, you know, again, talk to the Warhammer World team. I think the best thing in those sort of situations is to let them sort it out. Yeah. You don't want any emotion between the two players that have just had that game. Best let them deal with it. And they're really good at it. Yeah. After the game, we, uh, I had a beer because I had some time to kill, uh, seeing as my army was dead. Uh, so I had a word with the staff. I said, don't um, be too harsh on him because I don't want to ruin someone's weekend that they've paid money for. But at the same time i didn't want someone else to go through the same experience as me yeah uh, and get absolutely wrecked by his army um and fair play to them they did actually go over went through his list and <laughs> took out quite a lot <laughs> yeah they just said to him there's stuff on the table that's not on your list of 1750 you better not do that again he was actually playing one of our group uh, the next game yep. and yeah apparently, apparently a, a large chunk of his army was missing yes so yeah let's just move on from that i had a cracking game against uh, the invader side this time round. oh nice so I was faced up against Necrons, my mate Bennett, and it's always good to play your friends. I haven't played him at 40k, even though he goes to the store. I mean, I don't really go. That's probably why. For literally years, he's got this really awesome Necron army. It's all based on the Canoptic units, but he's converted like all of his destroyers out of the spiders. There's the, little spiders. Uh, they're out of a mixture of tomb spiders and wraiths, and yeah. so his whole army looks like a spidery based army, but it's also got different units from the from the codex in there as well. Those destroyers actually won best unit. So well Ooh. done. Awesome game. I had a reasonably good start. I thought, hey, this is going quite well. Uh, I killed four or five destroyers in the first turn. Last Cannon's doing D6 damage. Really yes. helps out there. That'll do it. And four out of five of them came back. Yes. Necrons. So, brief aside, with Necrons, you pay points for the reanimation protocols, which is you resurrect models at the start of the turn, and you can resurrect them throughout the game. So those points of the models are quite high in order to reflect that, and the problem is it can go really well and five, four or five of them could come back like this, or it can go horribly wrong, they all die, or and the then, unit gets destroyed, and, and you've overpaid. Yeah. You've overpaid for them, so it's really tricky to, for them to balance that out, and I, I don't quite think it's there, personally. So, a whole bunch of them got back up, and I thought, oh god, this game's going down the pan. Turn one, the reanimated destroyers 
just delete a unit of tactical marines, all of them <laughs> dead, gone, dead, horrible. You must have thought this was sort of flashback to your first... It was flashbacks to game yeah. one. But then the Death Watch decided to deploy from the Corvus, and I thought, oh, let's see what they can do. I've got a load of command points left, I hadn't had the chance to use them in the first turn, and the Death Watch killed everything. I'm not even exaggerating, they killed everything. <laughs> They're good, aren't they? They're it's, pretty good. Can see us? Yeah, they thought they smashed their way through the destroyers as if they weren't even there. So I them... even your close combat unit. Oh did yeah, something. they hit like a hammer, mate. No, normally they whiff like they a, do. Uh, frag a cannons. I'm just going to say frag cannons and leave it at that. They were amazing. Yeah. And then I paid three command points to let them consolidate and fight again, and they butchered their way through everything that stood in their way. Nice. Um, I was frightened of the wraiths because the wraiths have a three-up invulnerable save. He chinned a load of saves on those wraiths and only failed a couple, but he failed them against the Dreadnought. So that flat three damage was instant killing wraiths. Yes. But he has a nasty little tactic where you can spend command points to let wraiths get reanimation protocols for a turn. So they don't normally get back up again. Oh, right. Okay. They're, they're canoptic units. They're not Necron units. So, oh, so they don't have like the living metal or they're whatever. Not, they're not yeah. the living robots. So they don't get back up again unless you spend command points on it. But I countered it with the Ages of Death Vect. Watch. Oh. No, not Ages of Vect, you cheeky bugger. <laughs> the Death Watch have their overkill stratagem, which lets you minus one a Necron player's reanimation protocols if it's within 12 of a Death Watch unit. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so he tried to reanimate these wraiths, and I minus one'd it, and all of his fives didn't get them. Nice. Uh, and, and failed. Nice. I mean, not nice for him, but... No, it that, was that's, not. That's cool. That's when a Death Watch stratagem <clears throat> works against yep. what it's designed to work against. So, yeah, it was a bit of a hammering, but I found with Necrons, I felt that if I didn't do that, and I didn't spend those command points to fight again, and I didn't spend those command points to hammer them into the ground, they can just get back up in your face and the game's over for you. So I talked about it with him afterwards, and I just feel it's a bit unfair on the Necron players because your opponent is basically forced into demolishing something of yours. You can't just spread your fire around and have like a to-and-fro game. If you don't crush their core units right at the start, they'll just keep coming back as a hound you. So, tough game. So, let's talk about round number five, the Knights round. Yeah, this was the first game of Sunday, wasn't it? No, this is the last game on Saturday, because six and seven were the two games on Sunday. So, this is yes. right at the end of the day. The game kicked off at like 4.30 or something like that and ran on till seven something. So, I was already feeling drained at the end of the, at the, end of the day to, to sit down to that fourth game. Well, stand up for that fourth game. <laughs> on that flagstone floor your legs do uh, do start to wake in the game and I tell you what also A's getting shot to crap by knights <sighs> so in my previous game I fought a the, the Castellan class the Castellan one is the one with all of the guns yes so I faced one in that guard list before yeah this guy had a Castellan, um, he had two armagers, and he had a couple of more knights. His um, Castellan looked really cool. It was basically shaped like a dinosaur. I don't know if you saw... No, I didn't see that. Yeah, so he had like a Admech Dunecaller body. Oh, okay, as, interesting. As the head. Um, so it looked, it looked really cool. Um, unfortunately, it does delete units. Yep. That particular model has a conflagration cannon. Cannon. He has the traitor's pyre. Yes, it which is. is the it's the relic, relic ones. Auto hits. We roll yeah, three d six. Two damage each. It's yeah. it's horrific. So unfortunately, my units were getting deleted left, right, and centre. But the difference was this guy was a really nice guy. So he was, he was just from down the road. So he was a northerner and. 
Northerners are friendly. Gen- generally nice. Yeah, really yeah. Um, it's a sort of a stereotype we have in England. And Northerners are generally nice, and the Southerners are grumpy buggers. Yeah, <laughs> like us. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's a really nice guy, and that's the difference when you get your ass handed to by someone that's not the greatest person, and then someone that's really nice. He knew that his knights were overpowered, and he was almost apologising um, for <laughs> for deleting my units, and got genuinely happy when I like got in to combat with something or managed to get something yep. off to chip two mortal wounds off and then he <laughs> says oh yeah now he's got 24 left or something I was like just leave it at the he's lost two wounds not how many he's got left they are absolutely ridiculous so when I saw the FAQ that their command points had been increased for some of their stratagems I was genuinely happy because yeah they are powerful powerful there are armies that counter them they're never going to be right up there in objective based games they're just going to lose every time because he had what six models as opposed to my like 50 yeah even as a thousand suns player so they're never going to win objective based games but the amount of firepower that they can kick out is well ridiculous so i mean i had to also face knights in that round round five for me started with my meeting my opponent and uh, him saying that he had 14 command points and uh, i said my name's rich oh yeah okay. one eyes he had a battalion and i'm heavy air quoting with my hands here of admech which was two engine seers and three units of five Admech, who basically hid behind buildings for the game. And that's a battalion, is it? Yeah, but they give you command points, Dave. That's a battalion that you send into the front lines. Yes, battalions that would be sent to take over an entire objective or city on their own, potentially. Yeah, yeah, that. Right, okay. Interesting uh, interesting take on things. Um, They were representing the Dark Mechanicum, so they were part part of the Chaos faction. It wasn't a great interaction from the get-go, let's be honest. Turn one... The person, the person needed to win, not wanted to win. Yes, yeah. yes. The Castellan fired, and I had similar similar experience to you. My my upset is that he's a Dark Mechanicum player, and he's fighting the Ultramarines. So he used the Oathbreaker missile as a stratagem that lets you the Oathbreaker, the Oathbreaker against it's designed, the most regal of space marines. It's supposed to seek out those that have broken their oaths and <laughs> and then have turned on the Imperium to to destroy them when you're the Dark Mechanicum. And uh, he basically sniped my warlord. And oh. Oh, I said, it, yeah, because it can target characters. It can target characters. It doesn't allow an invulnerable save. I said to him, do you really need to do that? Because you've, you've already got me beaten. Like, I've got an infantry army versus knights. You're going to crush me. Could you not snipe my warlord just for spite? He's, a captain. Got, he's got a f- chainsword and a plasma gun. <laughs> What's he going to do? I mean, he might overcharge his plasma gun, Dave, and knock two whoa, words off the knight. So, so step back, brother. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. I'm not sure if that was a Space Marine joke or... <laughs> I, it was a bit of both. <laughs> nice. And I, 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 I was really pissed off. And I just said to him that that's just bull Because, like, it's not necessary. This isn't a competitive game. I'd like to get some gaming out of my army before it's hosed off the battlefield. He proposed no threat. So I was just, it just set a sour tone when I was like, we're playing a friendly game. Could you just not do that? And he's like, no, I'm going to do it. And I said, well, I think we just approach 40k differently. Yep. And that, that was pretty much a, an exact phrase that you used. Yep. After that, I was just not really interested. Um, the Death Watch killed a knight. I was quite happy with that. Nice. They got out of the Corvus. Um, he, well, I, I don't did. think he expected. <laughs> I don't think he quite expected them to hit that hard. I mean, the Corvus chips them off with its shooting. Then they slammed in frag cannon. It frag cannons are really good versus knights because they really easily get a three up in save from combinations of BS. 
but you just pour on skill, yeah? You, yeah. Yes. you just pour <laughs> on the wounds with the frag cannons and make him take a bunch of saves yeah. and then thunderhammered it and then after that he just shot out my entire army my, my hope to win was a space marine on the objective behind a building that was basically crawling through the dirt trying to get out of line of sight <laughs> of, two, of two knights so that game did not go very well. A uh, great friend of ours, Dave, uh, just, just rocked up three quarters of the way through the game and just put a beer on the side of the table and just patted me on the shoulder and walked off. Nice. Yes, yeah, nice. it was one of those games. I like knights. I think knights are awesome. I think taking an all-night army to a casual event, not the coolest trick to pull. Maybe they should sort of ask people to, to shy away from that. I mean, the campaign pack does say be flavorful. Um, there are some flavorful night lists. You can, you can put a lot of story behind it. I just don't think it's a lot of fun for your opponent to get hosed off the battlefield with, with no comeback. Yeah. But it was the last game of the evening. Yes. And so we got to go to the pub. Back so to the pub. <laughs> I wasn't driving. Wait for all this to blow over. Yep. <laughs> so Sunday morning rolls round. It's time for the last two games of the campaign weekend. And the story had unfolded from our point of view that something was up with the Xenos. Not Chaos this time, the Xenos this time. Yeah, we, we got the same thing they're working on. They're working on something um, on one of the core planets. So we, we moved off the Dark Zones at this point and onto the core planets. And on the outside of the core planets, one of these major city planets, uh, the Xenos were assembling some sort of weapon facility. We didn't really know what. So again, being the Imperium... We just turn up on the planet's surface and find out the hard way by walking up to the compound and uh, and having a nose around. And being the chaos, we followed the Imperium <laughs> and tried to kill everyone. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah it, was, it was a it was like a Tau weapon facility. Yes, that they that's were trying right. to I think like resurrect. Yes, they were, and the missions entailed basically investigating a bunch of objectives to find out what the weapon system was supposed to be doing and how it was supposed to be operating. Yeah, blinking runes and all that jazz. So I played an Imperial player, and I actually played uh, Jamie, who is better known as the Colonel for Tabletop Tactics. Look at this name dropping. So so you've played Chef. Yep. And the Colonel. Yeah, I'm just weaning my way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to have social skills for that, mate. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, so I I played Jamie, and he took uh, his Imperial Primaris, but more importantly, he had two Storm Talons and a Storm Raven, which, against my non-flying army, was was a bit scary from the get-go, I should say. I got first turn, which was great, and I warped-timed my Demon Prince. Is this becoming your one trick now? Just turn my warp-time first-turn charge? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, because the rest (laughs) of my army's shite. No, I I managed to warp-time the Demon Prince, and I charged, because he can fly, I charged the Storm Raven. Nice! Yeah, so the the Storm Talon had uh, played, I think it's the Armour of Contempt? You ignore mortal wounds. Yeah, on a five up or something, or you ignore wounds on a five up. It's mortal wounds on a five up. So I had turned all my attention to the Storm Raven, which had uh, like his warlord in there. He had so he actually has quite like a a fluffy ultramarines army. He had like honor guard, even though they're crap. The models look sick. Yeah, he had like honor guard and Magnus Kalgar, and he had like the. Don't you get his name wrong? It's Marnius Kalgar. Magnus, whatever. You just Uh, think of Magnus. Yeah, did nothing wrong. Yeah, so Marnius Kalgar and like a banner with the emperor. Descendant, nice. and it was really cool. Unfortunately, I couldn't kill the Storm Raven after that. I fourteen hit... wounds is a lot to chew through. Yeah, I did uh, twelve wounds to it. Ooh. So it was uh, limping along on two wounds left. Unfortunately, after smites and the mutant vortex beast, I think went in on it, and uh, and then the demon prince went full machete on it, and I could not bring it down. Unfortunately, which <laughs> which did mean that Marnius and Co. 
got out into the face of the demon prince was not great. Noob. Noob. Uh, essentially, a few turns uh, went by. Nothing of note sort of went down because we were just punching the crap out of each other. I was killing his sort of scouts and um, the Terminators turned up. I can't roll a two up. Like, four ups were fine. Four ups were fine. Three ups were really okay. It was basically the closer I got to one, my <laughs> saves were just worse. Five up demon saves this whole campaign weekend. I was on fire. Five up demon saves. Apart from when it comes to a demon prince getting punched by Marnius Calgar. Um, it says Chaos Gauntlets, mate. I mean, sorry. Expunge yeah. that from the records. <laughs> <laughs> No, so I cannot save two ups. Basically, every time he was shooting on a the guard, they, they shoot sort of two shots with their bolters. And every time I was failing one <laughs> of <time> them. Every... <laughs> it was ridiculous. Every time he shot, like, four shots, like, uh, blah, 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 two wounds. And I'd roll two dice, and one of them every time would be a one. I was like, oh, my God. They're expensive Terminators as well. They really are. Yeah, well, yeah, because well. they've, they've got the one-up save against yeah. damage one weapons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that whole unit's almost 300 points, I think. And, yeah, they were just dying to honor guard bolters, which is not great. I mean, Jamie's face was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. So, sorry, not sorry, as my, like, cheapest unit was wiping yours off the, <laughs> your most expensive unit off the board. Did Calgar live? Calgar did live and like I said punched the demon prince to crap. Unfortunately as he was taking his imperial gauntlets out of the demon prince's face a Maul of Fiend stood on him. Nice. The that thing's not to be underestimated. Maul of Fiend was my MVP of the entire campaign weekend because it was essentially it was crap in 7th edition and I think people still have that mindset in yeah. and they just don't expect the sheer number of attacks with the Lasher Tendrils um, that come off of it and all those Lasher Tendrils are damaged too. And, and that stratagem is just win. So it's a close combat machine but it does only hit on a 4. However, there is a stratagem uh, called Demon Forge, which you can re-roll hits and wounds. It's the and thing there that makes it big. Hits and wounds for an entire phase. So if you play it on the Forge Fiend, the big shooting machine, you can play it in the shooting phase as yep. well. And that thing is horrific. Yes, I've uh, faced that thing before. But yeah, the Mauler Fiend completely killed Marnius Calgar. Unfortunately, uh, the rest of the flying machines were killing the rest of my army. Yeah. So I did, in fact, lose that game um, because the objectives also weren't very nice to me. When we discovered the objectives, we had to roll a d6, and on a 1 it was sabotaged, on a 6 oh, yeah. it was like you got extra bonuses and it was worth 3 points and everything in between. And uh, the first turn I discovered 3 objectives and all 3 I rolled a 1 on. All 3, and I took d3 mortal wounds. On so they all sabotaged? Yeah. It was ridiculous. It was almost like the Ultramarines had turned up and planted all these explosives. It was the scouts that you didn't see, mate. Well, yeah, it was, it was quite thematic, I suppose, because he had uh, three units of scouts. Yeah. And they must have set the traps on the on the objectives first. But, oh, my God, my, my ones this weekend are just <laughs> awful. Moving on to your game. I played a friend of ours, Dave, who I've never actually played. And I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. He's so. old um, Games Workshop manager. Old store manager, yeah. yeah. And, uh, awesome guy. Had a, heavy air quotes, lovely Nurgle army. As in, it was disgusting. very, very well painted <laughs> and looked horrifically disgusting. And he had a knight. But he had one knight, not from the Codex, no bullshitting tricks, just one knight in his army, which was great. And he's a nice guy. And he's a nice guy, and he so doesn't want to win. He doesn't want to win, as in, like, just win. He wants to play a game and have fun, and perfect matchup. Great game. 
Really good fun. We decided to play it friendly a couple of times. There were things we could have done that would have been optimal, but suboptimal. Wouldn't have been suboptimal fun. play. Were you, were you oh, playing suboptimal? No, play? Dave. So he I had he phrase. had this Nurgle character who has a bile flamethrower or something. It's <laughs> basically horrific. Is it, it has light spewer? I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. He's like seventy-seven points for a character, so you can't pick him out. This gun is a flamer, so it auto hits. It's got a 12-inch range. No, 9-inch range, sorry. All right. Um, it got extended because of um, some boon from previous missions. Nice. But it's normally got a 9-inch range. And it's strength 2d6. Oh. And it's AP minus 3, and it does 2 damage. And Whoa. No, 70- 3 damage. 3 damage, sorry. 3 damage for, for 77, 77 points. And the damage has that flail-type rule where it spills over. So if oh, it kills like a two wounds model, yeah. yeah, the one wound carries on to the next model. Like um, mortal wounds, essentially. A bit like mortal wounds. Oh. So it killed four grey knights in one shooting phase. <laughs> um, he agreed that it was not fair to snipe Voldus by See, moving. That's, that's the difference. Big difference. Yeah, um, that is the difference between players. And he had Typhus and the Death Shroud Terminators in a Land Raider. Whoever plays Land Raiders, it was awesome. Dave, land Dave does. Uh, his Land Raider <laughs> has a butthole. Um, he's used the... Glockkin, he's used, he's used the buttocks from the Glockkin to replace the engine at the back of the Land Raider, so it's got, it's got the Glockkin's bum at the back of the Land Raider. It's Nurgle, mate, it's fine. <laughs> it looks, it just looks awesome. Nice. Typhus and his mates got out, his mates failed the charge versus Voldus, and he's like, there's three of them and they're placed in a line in front of Typhus. Typhus couldn't get through. So oh. I was like, dude, just charge through your own unit. He's like, oh, the rules. I was like, Typhus, his bodyguard, does not stand in front of Typhus when he wants to get in combat. Yeah, the Death Sworn or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so they just get the, out of the way and Typhus just barrels on through straight into Voldus and then nice. a bit of a punch up, which was good. Uh, old man Voldus actually won. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just assumed he'd die. Yeah, I assumed he'd die as well, but he made it through. Great game. It appears, th- it appears old man Voldus just can't play against me. Yeah. I'll tell you why I know it's a good game, because I had to think long and hard about who won. Nice. So I did win, but only just. Because Nurgle's incredibly resilient. And, you know, the the night was there to be fun, and it was good, but it wasn't game-breaking, because it was yes. just one. Yeah, so brilliant game. Right, moving on to the last round. We've discovered that the weapon facility is the outskirts defences of the weapon facility, and there is a bigger one in the middle that is the size of a city block or something ridiculous like that, because <laughs> no one builds small weapons in 40k. We were told that it started firing and was basically deleting battle cruisers per shot. <laughs> so things were going awry for the Imperium. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the greatest. No. What was the, what was the story they were spinning from the chaos angle? Uh, kill kill uh, more Imperials. <laughs> blood for the blood god, all that sort of stuff. And essentially, it was the same thing. Um, yeah. It was get the crap out because this thing is going loco. Yeah. Uh, it was, like you said, deleting stuff uh, left, right and centre and everyone was thrown into a panic. I mean, Chaos were loving it because everyone was thrown into a panic yeah. but essentially the invaders were, well, for want of a better phrase, they were winning. Yeah. So we had to stop them from winning. Yeah. The Imperium was basically backing away from the planet um, because their cruisers were getting annihilated and the guys on the ground were left to deal with the weapon or die. <laughs> so there was a, there was a quite a binary choice there for us. Round seven, who did you get matched up against? I played a really nice guy with a Necron list, but it wasn't 
just the Necron list. It was, a very... was it all destroyers, Dave? No. It was a very balanced Necron list. So he had six destroyers. But then when you surround it with everything else in 1750, yeah. it's not a lot. No, six is not a lot yeah. in 1750. So he, uh, it was really cool. He had like Cryptex. And he had uh, one of those Tomb Stalkers. That's pretty much my favourite model in, in the Necron range. The Triarchs. Yeah, the Triarch Stalkers, sorry, yeah. With the long legs. With the long legs. The big sort of hulking spider. Did he have the heat laser gun thing? Uh, he had a gun, but I'll get to what happened with it. Okay. Uh, um, and then, yeah, he had a, like a kinetic spider. He had, like I said, a cryptic. A nice mix of mix of bit of everything. Then, yeah. So it, it was it was a very balanced army. And against my very balanced army, we had a great game. So turn one. Warp charge. Yes, warp, warp time and warp, charge. Warp, they just call it warp charge. Warp, warp time and a charge. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Warp charge. Warp time and charge. I charged the uh, defiler at the Treyarch stalker because. I can't remember what the Triarch Stalker does. Kills your scouts, mate, from my memory. <laughs> yeah, but I can't remember because it used to grant everything rerolls to hit against a unit. It already shot. It used to like, yeah, yeah. It used to light it up with and some sort of like. I still have nightmares about that thing, so I knew to charge it straight away, and I went with the Defiler, the big, chompy scorpion-based Defiler to try and chomp it to pieces. Uh, the rest of my army moved forward. I, I killed a few things here and there. And the Mauler Fiend also, uh, on a horrific roll, managed to get into combat with... Oh, horrifically good then. Yeah, ho- horrifically good. I, I think I rolled a double six. Got into combat with uh, some Necron Warriors, which had like sort of moved out of their deployment zone slightly. Because we had uh, in every mission, we had um, slightly different deployment zones, so we were separate distances away. But yeah, I got into combat with them and uh, started chomping down on them. Killed 10 of them in the first round of combat Ooh. out of 12. Nice, but not nice. Nine of them. <laughs> nine of them got up on a 5+. plus. Oh, good rolling. Not even with a Cryptek around. He, he, we both, he rolled it and we both said it and we were like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And we were like, he, he apologised. I was speechless. I was like, wow. And he's like, that that's, the best, that's the best role I've ever seen. I, I, I just shook his hand. <laughs> what like, else can you do? Yeah, I was like, ah. Oh. Isn't it great when your first turn just didn't happen? Yes, yeah, so this Mauler this <laughs> went to absolute town. It was ridiculous. So his armour saves were pants. So it sort of made up with the reanimation protocols at the end of the turn. Um, and the Defiler went toe-to-toe with this Triarch Stalker. And was pretty much fluffing it. So he had, oh. I think, it, throughout the game, he had three rounds of combat with this Triarch Stalker. Really? Yeah, that close combat monster, the Triarch Stalker, and this <laughs> Defiler just could not do anything. But going back to the Maulafine versus the Warriors, yeah, loads of them got back up. And throughout the game, my opponent was throwing characters and different units at the Mauler Fiend and every time the Mauler Fiend would just bat this uh, <laughs> this like extra character or something out of the way and kill him off while still trying to kill these freaking warriors and the nice. warriors just kept coming back and I was like oh my god at one point I thought I might fall back with the with my close combat beast just because beast, just because I could not kill it and then I thought that's silly because I'll just get shot to crap but the highlight of the game was what I was going for for the entire campaign weekend was I got to turn an enemy character into a chaos spawn yes kind of a bit weird considering it was a necron with no ah! no skin whatsoever turned into a chaos spawn but let's, let's brush over that demons <laughs> 
I got to turn a character into a Chaospawn, and that, that was campaign weekend complete for me. But we had a great game, and it turned... I think the final score was like 14-13. Oh, that's close, so yeah. Very close, very good game, very nice bloke, and we had a great time, and uh, I just about came out on top. So I actually ended the uh, campaign weekend even 3-3. Nice. Yeah, good so outcome. I, the 1750 games, I was not doing great. Uh, I was 1-3. Yeah. So one win, three losses. So it's 500 uh, point games. Yeah. If if the campaign weekend was 500 points, maybe not against Necron Destroyers. Uh. But uh, but, yeah, I would have been been, uh, great. How was your last game? Fantastic. So I played the Tau player that had the Manta. Oh, yeah. Really nice guy. I've played him before. Do you know how I know he's nice? Because I remember his name was Chris and I didn't even write it down. Nice. Because normally I have to write these things down. Make, Um, Make me look better, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Top guy. Again, a really balanced list. So he had a Tau army, had a Tiger Shark in it, Ooh. which looks pissing scary, um, but it's like 500 points or something out of 1750, so that's a, a lot of eggs in that basket. Well, so you've got an, you've got an infantry army. That thing yes. deletes flyers. Yeah, and vehicles, mate. Well, its gun yeah. does 2d6 damage. Yeah, it's like a heavy rail and gun, it's on a it? two. It's, <laughs> it's well good. But on the flip side, it only does that yes. beam, so, so it's not ridiculously overpowered it isn't we had a really fun game he was a really nice guy the rest of his army was really bad he had long strike a hammerhead some fire warriors some pathfinders a riptide I, a riptide yeah. one <laughs> I, i've played him before and when when i saw you were matched up against him i actually sort of said to dave our friend that was with us i was like rich's got a really nice guy there because I, yeah. I remember playing him from before which was like a year ago yeah so. so we got to use these dark zone units and i hadn't used mine in the campaign weekend yet i thought last game gonna use it so i put my 28 plague bearers 200 points they're so cheap oh. onto the battlefield i tell you what 28 plague bearers will achieve sh- all but they won't die yeah so that's their achievement is not dying i put them on i did some maneuvering you know i usually did my usual throw the corvus in the mix and see what happens death watch got out and battered the riptide to pieces then they charged into long strike, battered long strike to pieces. Oh, is this is this the uh, pretext to your Death yeah. Watch army that you're going to create? Shut up, Dave! I'm not even going down that road. No <laughs> more power armor. Just, but just the Grey Knights turned. That. The Grey Knights turned up. So the 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 plague bearers. I'd already said I'm not going to use the plague bearers to take an objective because they don't take objectives. They kill stuff, and I don't want to use this 28 blob to just sit on an objective. And I know I will hold it for the whole game. But that's, that's not, not fun. fun. Yeah. So they charged towards these six fire warriors that were standing on their objective, like <laughs> bricking it. And Shit. he shot some of them to, until he realized that with minus one to hit and a five up invan and a five up disgusting resilient, you just can't kill plague bearers easily. So mm-hmm. he just ignored them. They charged these six fire warriors, uh, achieved diddly squat against fire warriors. Yeah, mate. They just, the fire were just like, what are you doing? They Again, those it. close combat killed, machines. Killed, killed two plague bearers in return as well, just for lols. Oh no. Uh, but then the Grey Knights showed up. They murderized the Pathfinders uh, because um, Cyborg ammunition is amazing mm. as a stratagem. It's only mm. one command point as well, isn't it? It's two. Oh, it is two. It's two command points, but the strength five AP minus one on your Storm Bolters is brutal with 20 shots. Right. But this is a campaign, so the Grey Knights are not just going to stand there and kill the Tau when there are demons on the battlefield, even though they're my demons technically. Nice. Um, so the See, great that's, that's, that's where the narrative comes through. <laughs> the bloke was like looking at the plague bearers, and like, oh, they're going to cause a massive problem. I was like, I'm moving the great knights. He's like, why are you moving them over there? I'm like, they're going to charge the plague bearers. He's like, it's, it's they're your plague bearers. I'm like, they're demons. <laughs> yeah. He's like, nice. So I ignored the tiger shark completely because I just couldn't do anything yeah. to it. It's a massive flyer that's minus one to hit. 
And the Grey Knights dealt. Cool. The Grey Knights dealt with the Plague Bearers, no problems at all there. Vol just went for the command structure. I tried to kill off all his other stuff, but um, again, he had a really balanced list, so we had a really good game. The outcome was it was a draw. Oh, which is nice. Nice. And yeah, just had a good, had a really good time. I think he was really into the game as well, and like he's using some cool stratagems and stuff, but he wasn't spamming anything, and it was just really nice to play like a free flowing game with someone that was fun. I mean, I, I'm lucky. Like, <laughs> you're not used to that. I had a terrible normally. start, but like, had <laughs> you're just a nightmare. <laughs> But I had multiple really, really good memorable games, which is which is awesome. And I, like you, ended on uh, evens of 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. Oh, nice. Yeah. Two draws. Nice. So the outcome of the actual campaign weekend, the Imperials triumphed. Yes! After getting battered in every single round, we caught up massively in the last round um, and just crushed it. We sent that Xenos weapon back where it came from. Yeah, probably used it on the Xenos. Uh, yeah, that actually happened in one game. <laughs> so the uh, yeah, an imperial victory. So the forces of chaos were vanquished. The invaders, invaders were kicked out, and the imperium will go to work crushing all the pockets of resistance that remain. Try or... and recover the planet, and then just I just f- it up somehow. It's yeah. the imperium. <laughs> it's how much paperwork is generated by this campaign, Dave. Someone will just press a red button. Some entire room full of... Exterminatus the entire system. That's it's usually what every single campaign weekend we go to. It's like, the Imperials won, but the planet was beyond recovery. Exterminatus. <laughs> that just... was one of the ones I remember. That was so good. It's like, you guys won, but you didn't because the whole planet just got blown up whilst you were on it. Oops, <laughs> you're all tainted now. Cut. Heavy cut. Oh. So, yeah, really awesome campaign weekend. Um, if you uh, haven't been to one and you ever get the chance, go. They're, yeah. really, they're really worth it. It's usually two or three a year. And yeah. uh, look out for them. They also do the Age of Sigmar ones as well. I think they are moving into Lord of the Rings ones as Ooh, well. Ooh, so they're going to cover all bases. Yeah, so they are very good. And if you're into the narrative, sort of 90% of the players there are uh, on the same wavelength as you. So I just wanted to touch on how awesome Warhammer World is for a few minutes so just to give people a bit of a picture of how good all the people that work there are and the setup, etc. I'm sure people have seen pictures of people who haven't been there. It's decked out inside like the the interior of a castle. Yeah, it's uh, a castle courtyard, essentially. Yeah. That's the game room. The tables, as we already mentioned, uh, they put so much effort into making them look fantastic. Even the tables that we were playing the campaign weekend on, the terrain was really good. Nicely based, well built. Well, they've, they've listened to feedback. So before when we've gone up there, so again, for those people that haven't been up there, they have sort of 10 or 12 scenic tables. Big tables, one yeah. of One of which we played on, the, the City to the Death one. But the rest of the hall is, is made up by 50. generic... Yeah, there you go, 50 generic uh, realms of battle boards with terrain and before the feedback has been the terrain's a bit sparse some of the terrain is literally just trees like the the three wooded trees and it was a bit crap but this time there was at least i'd say five or six ruins or dense woodland or um, adeptus mechanicum buildings and yeah, the, the the boards this time were noticeably so much better than when we went a year ago. About 18 months ago, yeah. Oh, a year and a half then. Yeah, so you've got those massive scenic tables like the one we booked uh, and, and the, the smaller gaming tables. Then you've got Forge World's got a shop there. Yep. Which is great for some people. I try to avoid going in there because Forge World is expensive, I, but lovely. And I can say this is the first time ever that I've been up to Warhammer World and didn't spend a single penny on a model. Well done. J- 
just because I know I've got so much crap here. <laughs> I need don't, to pay. don't want to get in trouble with the missus. Yeah, well, to be fair, I'd gone to Warhammer World knowing that I've got the Scions to come back to. Yeah. If you're going there or a friend is going there, it's so good to just be able to pick up a single Forge World kit and not have to spend on postage. They and also have them built there. They so have. You can see them. You can see everything. They've got the. They'll make things up and send them to your house if they don't have it in stock, which is top customer service mm-hmm. for free, free yep. postage. So always try and get what you want when you're there. Uh, Black Library have a shop there. Yep. Endless Bookshelves books. of books. Yeah. It's so nicely decorated and done out as well. You can um, get posters in there as well. Yes, the Warhammer can. art. Still thinking about a bit of art for the wall, Dave? I need to get one signed off by the wife. So anything that's black and white. And not gory. I think I could probably get away with. So, so yeah, like a picture of a symbol. Sure. An Eldar rune. That's probably all I get away with. There we go. I'll just say it's like some Chinese symbol of yin or something. <laughs> and the shop there is fantastic. They've got an actual Games Workshop store there. Uh, their intro tables for showing people the hobby are as good as their scenic tables it's ridiculous. in the main hall. It's ridiculous. Very well staffed. Like they've got loads of staff there to talk about whatever you want. They've got display cabinets with basically every single model in the range assembled within reason. Merchandise, clothing. Clothing, cups, dice. Posters. Everything. Yep. More posters. Uh, they've got Narsil from the Lord of the Rings movie on display on the wall. Oh, the sword, yeah. The sword. And they've got the Witch King's sword on display on the other side. The ones given like given to them by New Line Cinema, basically, mm. from props from the movie. They've got awesome stuff like that. And the door to the Miniatures Hall of Fame. Yes. So the... I don't know if people have been before. They used to have the Miniatures Hall, and it was very cool, and everything was in glass cabinets, and there was like usually just one central diorama. And it's painted models from basically every range. That, yeah. was the, that was the thing. Yeah. Nowadays, they have, what, six rooms? Six rooms like, full to the brim. Each dedicated to a different line of work. So one is like historical, uh, one is fantasy slash Sigma, one is 40k, one is 30k. Golden Demon has a section there. Golden Demon has a section and that, that diorama. So there is a display diorama that is in the stairwell from the first to the second floor. It is as big as the stairwell from the first to second floor in height. It's got to be a good 15 foot high. Mm-hmm. And it is Ultramarines, the, basically the entire Ultramarines chapter fighting against Well, it is the entire chaos. Ultramarines yeah. chapter. Yeah. Um, they've got this, it's ridiculous. And there's this seven, 15, 16 foot high shrine at the top of which Marnius Calgar is going toe to toe with a bloodthirster. Oh, that's cool. There is a, what's one of the highlights, uh, the Warhound Titan that's being taken out, the Chaos Warhound Titan that's being taken out by a drop pod. Yeah, drop, drop pod smashed in. in the, yeah. You've got Grey Knights on there. They've got two Dread Knights like fighting back to back against oh, a yeah. horde of demons. They've got so many little details of units fighting and battles taking place inside this massive conflict. And it's just the most incredible display of miniatures that they've got. Plus, yeah. they've got loads of other awesome dioramas. If anyone's it's, not seen it, just just Google it. Google it. I, it's it's, what it's the, phenomenal. It's just just Google Warhammer World diorama Ultramarines, and it'll and, pop and, up. And, and revel in the glory. It's is incredible. And yeah, and I mean, it, they have to pay to get in, but because we were campaign weekend ticket holders, we got to go in for free. Yes, which I think is awesome. It's a nice little addition that didn't really cost them anything. 
but it's a nice little bonus for us as, as ticket holders. Yeah, so as, as, as over the years, obviously, with inflation and all sorts and adding different bits, they've increased the ticket prices. But It's this, still very good value. It's still very good value. The world is free. £65, I think it was. For the campaign weekend, the yeah. The campaign weekend. Um, but, yeah, you get free entry to the Mitchells Hall now. You get two two meals. Um, you Posters. Get to, post, yeah, posters. Yeah, artwork in the actual campaign pack. And of course, you play six games. Yeah. So it's it's not too shabby because um, people were sort of complaining because I think it used to be fifty pounds and then sixty and now sixty five, but you're also now getting uh, stuff like the miniatures hall admission. I mean, that saved us seven pound fifty. Yeah. Going to the miniatures hall, which I would pay anyway. Yep. But it saved us that money and uh, giving us a nice little bonus. So yeah, I, I'm. I'm is really it? taken by the whole campaign weekend as a whole. I was a bit worried going in about facing questionable knights. lists and nights. <laughs> and yeah, it did happen. But do you know what? I got four out of those games. Six games were awesome. Yep. And that's, that's what you want. That's what you want. So overall, uh, really well run. The team that do it, were re- they're just so committed yep. to, the, to the, theme, the, the theming and to making sure everyone has a good time. Yeah, and, and they will listen to you. So if, if you've got a gripe... Um, as long as it's valid, yeah, it's they, they will yeah. they will take you up on it and and help you out and make sure that say you've got a problem with a player, they make sure you sort of talk out or they have a quiet word with that player. Or if you've got a problem with something in your army, they'll say sit down and write your army list with you or help you out with with all the little parts of the hobby that a good staff member and good customer service should do. So I think that's about it for the campaign weekend. Do you want to move on to your hobby tips before we go? Right, so spraying PVA. I thought I'd add this in as a hobby tip because I mentioned having to do it during several steps of the table preparation. And it's kind of key when you want to do any texturing on terrain pieces, gaming boards, whatever, that involves anything that's loose and likely to just brush off. Yeah, it's good It's good for adding to Realm of Battle boards to make them look a bit more realistic. Obviously, if you're going to stack them as they're meant to be stacked in the casing it's not the greatest but no you need to have something that's tough and if you get a good quality pva it actually dries really strong so i buy mine in the uk from a company called baker ross it's a matte craft medium they call it it's essentially incredibly thick pva glue so it's not been watered down so my understanding is that when companies make pva glue they get this the bulk product is quite thick they water it down obviously the cheaper the glue the more water they add like dish soap. You know, you buy cheap dish soap for washing up. It's cheap just beer. water. Cheap beer. Yeah. That sort of thing. So I buy the really, really thick stuff. You can buy... I would, If not, I would buy like a builder's product from a builder's merchant because it's going to be tough because it's designed for using in building. Yeah. I water mine down with deionized water, which I've mentioned before. It's getting a long way, this deionized water. Well, I got. bought like a five litre bottle from Halfords for like two quid. So from a car... What else am I going to use with it? jeez. <laughs> oh, Right, so I add the deionized water so that the PVA mix doesn't go manky, so there's no bacteria or anything like that. What's the ratio? Um, so I do it in four parts water to one part PVA. Okay. You can go three to one. Um, I mean, this is thick stuff, so if you were using a thinner, cheaper one, you probably want to go like two to one or three to one. The idea being you get it reasonably watered down, but not too not too runny, so it actually sticks and adheres. And you have to add flow improver or flow aid. Something to get it to spray through the bottle. Otherwise, if you try and spray it without putting something in, it kind of just clogs up and you get this splotchy, dribbly mess and it's not really any good. Oh, so you're using like antibacterial spray bottle? Yeah, so for the spray bottle, not, I Not use, an airbrush or something? Uh, that would no, clog I've up, seen surely. Mel, the terrain shooter, okay. the boss, spray it through an airbrush. 
but he still puts a flow aid in it to make sure it sprays through. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I'd be worried about he it. He uses problem. a really cheap airbrush. Yeah, he uses a budget one for just spraying PVA because you don't need the accuracy. You're just putting it on. But I use a spray bottle that is basically either one of the shop bought ones for misting plants. If you want to save some money, keep a spray bottle from your bathroom or kitchen cleaner, wash it out a lot, and just <laughs> use that. Trim a bit of plastic off the bottom of the spray tube so it doesn't touch the bottom, because then it can get clogged up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just mix a whole bunch up in a spray bottle like that. Add in the flow aid, so I brought some proper artist's flow aid. If not, you can use dish soap or very liquid just to add it so that it helps it go through the spray. Improves the viscosity. Uh, yeah, and it just mists nicely onto your terrain. And the idea being that you put a nice thin layer of this PVA down, it dries like a film that connects everything together, but mm-hmm. you don't see it because it's a thin, transparent layer. And oh. you can do usually two layers to hold stuff down. And, yeah. you know, I've got a piece of my 40k terrain that's almost all gravel, the loading bay piece. Yeah. I put that down with watered down PVA. I haven't lost any gravel off of it after like 10, 15 games. Oh, is that, is that what you did with yeah, it? Two, yeah, two coats and, it, and it's, it's dry yeah, hard it's as nails. it's rock hard, yeah. Um, so it's really, really easy to put together, put a big bottle of it together. Occasionally, I'll just take the spray nozzle off and clean the spray nozzle by spraying some warm water through it and put it back on again. Yeah. Um, and it lasts for ages. Nice. So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash Floorhammer Podcast, our website, floorhammerpodcast.com, and our Instagram handle at floorhammer underscore podcast. I should really pre-record this, actually. <laughs> save me saying it every time thanks for listening guys catch you next episode